All right. Hey, good morning, church. How are we doing? Oh, mine was better, Ray. <laughs> uh, good morning, everybody uh, online watching as well. Did you guys know there was only six days before Christmas? Anybody like a pit in their stomach on that for a second, though? Right? Like, we have four birthdays before Christmas in our family. So, like, we get done with all the birthdays, and it's like, oh, man, that's like tomorrow practically. Crud. I still got to go buy gifts. Anybody still got to buy gifts? Ah, that's my guy. All right. I just totally called you out. My bad. Love you anyway. Uh, but what that does mean is that we've only got five days before a Christmas Eve service. So you've got four or five days here uh, to invite coworkers, friends, families, sworn enemies, whoever you need to, to join us on our Christmas Eve services. Uh, we got three of them coming up, uh, three o'clock, 4.30, and six right here. We're going to have uh, child care, I believe, up to two years old. So uh, if you got little ones, you can always uh, head down there. Uh, but we'd encourage you guys, man, join us this Christmas Eve. It's going to be a phenomenal way to worship uh, and just give thanks to God for the ultimate Christmas gift that he has given us. Uh, as we get started here, I want to ask you guys one question. What is your favorite Christmas song? Jingle Bells, Batman Smells. That's just <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Jingle Bells, the Batman Smells version. Who else? Come on, shout them out. What do we got? Carol of the Bells. Joy to the World. It's like the children. No offense, right? Right? Silent Night. Yeah, okay. Uh, one of my favorite Christmas songs of all time has got to be The Christmas Song by Nat King Cole. You guys know that one, Christmas Song by Nat King Cole? You've probably heard it, even if you can't tell the title here, uh, but I love this song. It's, nobody does it like Nat King Cole does. Like it, It's warm, and it's fuzzy. It's, it's a picturesque. It's, it's classic. Uh, it was written in 45. He started performing it in 1946. Uh, it's all about the perfect Christmas, which just sounds wonderful, right? But we don't have those, if we're being honest. We don't have the perfect Christmas at all. So let me show you here. We're going to break down his song this morning by Nat King Cole. He starts out by saying, and I'm not singing it. I just want to put that right here, okay? <laughs> I know some of you are concerned. I'm not singing it. He starts out with chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Now you guys are recognizing the song, right? So here's my question. Who here roasted their own chestnuts this year? Yeah, do you need a permit for that kind of thing? Like, how does that work? I don't have time to roast any chestnuts here, and Horrocks probably has them on sale anyway, so I'm just going to go that route myself. Oh, how about this one? Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Oh, that's cute. We live in Michigan, though. All right. There's no nipping at your nose. All right. It's cold. You've got a runny nose from sinus infection probably going on here, or you are, like, running to your car because the white death is going to descend upon us and we need bread and milk, okay? So that's how that works there, Nat. Uh, Yuletide carols being sung by a choir. Where? Ah. All right, like, where's this happening? Anybody see that? You go to Walmart, and they're like, we wish you a Merry Christmas. No, you don't see that anywhere. And honestly, if any of you guys come up to me and just start singing, that's like strong stranger danger vibes for me, so <laughs> we're just not gonna go that route at all. Uh, he also says, and folks dressed up like Eskimos. Yeah, we get that one, right? Okay, yeah, that's us. It's more like Columbia and Carhartt for the most part, but yeah, it's cold, so we definitely do that one. Uh, everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe help to make the season bright, unless you're the one cooking. Yeah, that's how that works, right? I just did a, a turkey for Thanksgiving, and that takes hours on here, and I don't want to touch the turkey thing anymore, so we're not doing that. And then the whole mistletoe thing, there's a lot of red flags with how that plays out, all right? So that's, a, that's not quite as festive for me. Uh, tiny tots with their eyes all aglow 
will find it hard to sleep at night. I've got kids, that's every night, okay? <laughs> Doesn't matter if it's Christmas. Somebody's screaming because they want a snack or their pacifier fell out. Like, that's not pleasant. That's not how we celebrate Christmas, okay? Here's the thing. Uh, it's a little bit funny to me how much culture, uh, classical movies and songs have really shaped our definition of what Christmas is supposed to be like. We have snow and, and trees, mistletoe, shopping, candy canes, carols, lights, like all of these traditions have shaped Christmas for us. Everything from Nat King Cole and Mariah Carey to Charlie Brown and Buddy the Elf have placed an image in our head of what the perfect Christmas is supposed to be like. And yeah, we know we have the reason for the season, so we'll attend one of the three Christmas Eve services coming up this uh, Christmas Eve, 3, 4, 30, and 6 o'clock, and we'll put our little, yeah, you like that? We'll put our little nativity out scene, all those things, and those are great. Those are all really, really good things, but for Christmas to be perfect, or how it, how it should be, and we need the traditions to create that Christmas feeling. Otherwise, why do I keep all of those boxes of decorations in my basement year-round, right? So, like, there's got to be something to having the perfect Christmas. But what if Christmas wasn't perfect? What if a, a, a white Christmas or chestnuts roasting or, or jingle bells just aren't feasible or even really necessary? See, I would argue that Christmas is an impossible standard. That no matter how hard we may try, how much holly jolly we may spread, it never, ever, ever turns out the way we think it should. In fact, it never has turned out perfect, even from the very beginning. Let's jump in here into Luke chapter 1 and, and read about this. The Bible says this, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. See, we love this story, right? We read this story every year, but here's the thing. This is not how it was supposed to go. <laughs> There are so many things that just happened to Mary and Joseph that completely ruined their plans. There's no perfection in this for them. Everything at this moment on begins to feel out of sync. Let me show it to you. See, this is not how engagement is supposed to work. Once the arrangement to marry was entered into, there was this uh, betrothal that was made that was way more binding than the engagements that we would have today. Uh, it was a big deal even to the point that uh, a betrothed man was exempt from serving in the military. 
It would have been uh, an arranged marriage where both of these families would have uh, probably been pretty familiar with one another. Uh, the betrothal, this period of time, would have lasted about a year apart from each other, uh, where they would, uh, women would take time to, to get the, the wedding clothes together. Uh, men would begin preparing their house. The bride of, of the, uh, the parents of the bride uh, would begin getting the wedding festivities and everything arranged for that. Everybody in the community would have been aware of and excited for this event, for this huge, big wedding, and everybody would have been a part of it. The betrothal, in fact, was so important that uh, it could only be broken by a legal divorce, and the only way that you could do that is if adultery had been committed. And in this case, that would have meant that Mary would have been beaten with stones until she was killed. See, now Matthew 1, uh, if we read into it, tells us that Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, She's probably about four months at that time when he finds out, uh, and he knows it's not his kid. So God appears to him uh, in a dream, and he assures him that, hey, it's okay. You can still get married to Mary. And Joseph had a plan. He was just going to secretly uh, divorce her, basically in the union, but he didn't want her killed. He wanted her to still, still be able to live, and so he was just kind of trying to do an honorable thing here and, and step aside. And the truth is God had other plans, and Joseph trusted God. See, here's the thing. You want to talk about a rocky engagement Man, I doubt either Mary or Joseph planned for their betrothal or their marriage to start off this way. Joseph couldn't have been the only one in this community to recognize and know that Mary was pregnant. People knew that these guys had a secret. They just didn't know that God was a part of it. See, similar, similarly, this is not how pregnancy is supposed to work, and not just biologically. Like We get that part, right? Uh, but when a woman becomes pregnant, man, there's joy there's happiness spread around. People are congratulating the happy couple. People are throwing parties. They're giving gifts. People walk up. They do that weird thing where they rub mom's belly, right? And that's a little strange to me, okay? Like, could you imagine if guys did that? It's like, Tom, you got a promotion, man. Bring that belly on over here, buddy. Way to go, big guy, right? Like, that's a little awkward. We don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> so here's the thing. Mary didn't have the pregnancy that she wanted because it was all covered in scandal, Joseph trusted God that he was doing something here, but man, this is not at all what I'm sure he would have expected. There had to be some uncertainty. There's got to be fear. There's got to be doubt. That's just living in the back of their head all the time. And it doesn't get any easier either. Like nothing is picture perfect about this. Look here at Luke 2. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God 
in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. See, this is not how giving birth is supposed to go. See, a lot of us can tell uh, stories uh, of how the birth of our kiddos was a lot harder than we actually expected it to be. Uh, our youngest daughter uh, spent a few days in the NICU when she was born, and, and really one of the hardest things I've ever had to do was go home and rest without her, leaving her in that hospital. I mean, we didn't have time to, to really cuddle her. We didn't have time to take pictures together that first night like we wanted to. In fact, we had to hold her hand through a small hole in a plastic box as she is just covered with tubes and wires and cords. And look, I am incredibly thankful for those tubes and wires and cords. And I am incredibly thankful for all of the loving care that she received. But honestly, this was not the perfect picture that we had envisioned. This isn't what we dreamed about leading up to this pregnancy and this birth. This isn't what we had wanted See, traveling and being in your late term of pregnancy is just not a good mix. Not today, and it definitely wasn't back then. Birth back then normally took place uh, in the home uh, with a local midwife. And Mary and Joseph are, are forced away from their home into a city full of people. We usually think of this uh, like pretty picturesque nativity scene that we set up kind of on the mantle or in the shelf in our house. You guys have some of those? You get your little nativity scene at home, right? And it's got shepherds, and it's got animals, and wise men. Maybe there's a little angel on top, right? Mary and Joseph, and then there's baby Jesus right there in the middle. And it's, it's kind of like this, a Nat King Cole Christmas, right? It's, it's beautiful. It's pretty. We love it. But, but kind of like that, it's, it's just probably not completely accurate either. See, Mary and Joseph would have probably been with family, and a lot of family, and a really cramped small space since everybody was coming from all over to come back to town and register for the census here. There probably wasn't some mean innkeeper who turned this laboring mother away because his holiday inn was full. In fact, the word inn here uh, is actually translated as, as guest room. There is another term in the Bible for inn. It's used uh, in the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, but most likely, the house that they're staying in is so full of people that the only place Mary could have room to give birth was either by, by clearing out space in a cave that would have been right next door to house the animals or actually in the lower level of the house that they would have housed the animals in. And the reason that they chose that is because it's so crowded in this place. So it really depends on the house and what the animal shelters are like for them, but, but it's really just the best option at a time when options are really limited for these guys because of the crowds. See, giving birth in an animal shelter away from home after traveling is not how Mary and Joseph pictured this special day. This is also not how raising a child is supposed to go. See, when that little baby comes home with you, man, they just capture your world, right? There's something special about that. You just, just want to hunker down and get all cozy and, and spend time counting little fingers and little toes, right? And, and resting whenever you can because they just take so much time up and they're adorable and you love it. You try to keep the house calm and relaxed and maybe some friends show up and they bring you some food and, and they tell you how, oh, they've got dad's eyes. They've got mom's hair. 
And then they get older, right? And their kids will begin walking and, and talking and, and interacting and laughing. And you just begin to savor those moments as well. You love all of the words that they just can't quite pronounce, right? And, and you look with wonder that they have in their eyes whenever something new enters their tiny little world. And so you begin to create these rhythms in your home. You begin to have these routines and these flows that work for your family. You got this new life together and you're just trying to figure out how to create consistency and how to make memories together. All of that was cruelly interrupted for Mary and Joseph. See, after the wise men showed up and, and they honored and they worshiped Jesus, we know that Herod, who was the ruler at the time, felt incredibly threatened by a new king being born here. So he orders all the little boys, two years and younger, to be killed. And Mary and Joseph, they get a warning from God about this upcoming uh, genocide. And so what do they do, man? They decide we're gonna flee. We're gonna run away for safety. Look at here in Matthew 2. It says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. I heard a voice in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a, warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Think about this for a second. Fleeing for your life, living in a foreign land, and being unable to return home, there's no way that was a part of Mary and Joseph's plan for raising kids. This is not at all what they wanted. And I, I can't imagine the stress that they had to feel as parents just consistently looking over their shoulder for anybody who wanted to harm or hurt their child. You know, being ready to leave at a moment's notice. Everywhere you go, having an exit strategy, getting ready to go. See, I love sharing uh, all my memories and things of when I grew up with my three-year-old. It is a blast. I was so pumped up when she had uh, her first bite of my favorite hometown food, Skyline Chili, right? And we put the little bib on her, and it didn't matter. Like, there was chili everywhere, okay? And I loved it. Every single moment of her just scarfing down this incredible, incredible chili. And I love watching her uh, explore at the park, and she goes out, and she doesn't meet strangers. She meets future friends everywhere she goes, everywhere. And, and whenever we get in the car, she's looking out the window and she can tell when we're going home. She can tell when we're going to church. She can tell when we're going to go to Mimi and Papa's house. Man, it would be so sad to lose all of that because of the constant fear that somebody wanted to hurt my kid. Mary and Joseph had to live 
of concern in the back of their heads. See, Mary and Joseph had an imperfect Christmas. This was not the way they wanted things to go. There's no way that this matched the dreams and the plans they wanted for getting married and starting a family together. All of that was removed from them. The first Christmas wasn't perfect. It was uncomfortable. It was hard. It was full of challenges. Look, your Christmas, it's not perfect either. Maybe money's tighter than you really wanted it to be. Maybe your kids aren't gonna be here to celebrate this year. Maybe this is the first Christmas where that friend or loved one has passed away. Man, there aren't any songs about that. It doesn't feel warm and fuzzy like roasted chestnuts or, or yuletide carols. You know what, you're not alone. No Christmas is perfect. And it doesn't have to be either. See, what makes Christmas is Emmanuel. It's God with us. See, no, it, it wasn't the way Mary and Joseph had pictured their engagement or their pregnancy or their birth story or raising their child or, or probably anything about their life up to this point. But their perception of what was to be perfect was removed and instead they got Jesus. See, where you're at with your family, with your health, with your job, your goals, or really whatever else, man, it may not be as perfect as you at one time had dreamed that it would be. But what if your view of perfect has to be removed so that Emmanuel can come into its place? What if this hardship that you're going through is really a blessing and you just can't quite see it yet? See, this morning I wanna give three suggestions or ideas for when your Christmas or really when your life is just not perfect anymore. Three things we can keep in mind. Number one, don't work for perfection. Don't work for perfection. It's not just improbable, it's impossible. Life doesn't work that way. Because we lived in a world that is plagued by sin, it is broken, and there will always, always be hardship, and there will always be struggle. You are probably gonna have a time when money is hard. Your marriage is not always going to be rosy and kind. Your kids are gonna make big and small mistakes. You are going to make big and small mistakes. The goal shouldn't be that everything goes according to plan. The goal shouldn't be that everything is comfortable or warm and fuzzy. See, in his last uh, meal together with his disciples, Jesus revealed to him that he was going to die and that what came next for those guys was going to be incredibly hard. And he told them that, man, it would come at great cost and that the world would hate them and that they would suffer, that their life would not be perfect but that they got Jesus. He said in John 16, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So you know what, don't, don't work for perfection. And then when you don't listen to part one and you try anyway, and it all goes sideways, trust God. When it all goes sideways on you, trust God. God. See, I read the story of Jesus in this, in this first Christmas year, and I am amazed at Joseph's strength and his trust in God. 
that when his engagement and his marriage are about to fall apart right in front of him, God shows up and he asks him to do something that is gonna be really hard and he trusts God. And when God shows up later on and he says, hey, pick up everything and leave the country and don't come back until I say, he just trusts God again. Even though it is wildly different than either Mary or Joseph would have asked for or would have wanted here, they still trusted that God is doing something and that God's way is still best. See, when perfection is shattered and reality begins to take its place, what do we do? Do we strive to try so desperately and get back the things that we lost? Do we cover it up so other people won't notice my mess or my brokenness? Or do we believe God's really in control? See, I believe one of the hardest things to ever do is to look at your broken dreams or your shattered version of perfection and to look at that and say, man, you know what? God is in this. It's ugly, it's broken, it's not at all what I wanted, but God is in this. See, we love to blame when that happens. But instead to stop and to say, look, I don't get it, but God is still working. And that's faith, that's trust. It may not be easy, it may not be convenient, and it definitely won't feel perfect, but it is best. So when it all goes sideways, trust God. And then when you've done all of that, then you can actually begin to treasure Emmanuel. I love Mary's response after all that's happened. Not the engagement she wanted. Not the pregnancy she wanted. Not the birth story that she wanted. Not the perfect story she would have dreamed of. And yet her response is absolutely perfect. Luke 2 said, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. All the craziness she's experienced, all the uncertainty, all the clutter that is around her, Mary had learned to treasure it all because now God is held inside her arms. She lost her perception of perfection, and now she can treasure Emmanuel. And when we give up this constant pursuit of perfection, whether in Christmas or in our everyday life or in our business or in our families or whatever it may be, and we begin to trust that God is truly working in our brokenness, we begin to treasure that Jesus is with us. There's peace in that. See, perfection is full of clutter, the constant desire for things to be how we want, and battling against nature and others whenever it's not, man, it is exhausting. Some of us have been exhausted this Christmas trying to make it perfect. Some of us have been exhausted our entire lives trying to make it perfect. Man, remove the need for perfection. It's unattainable, and it's gonna leave you empty inside. Instead, make room for what God is doing. Have a less than perfect Christmas, but a Christmas where you spend time worshiping God and treasuring the fact that he came to be with you. Man, have a less than perfect life, but a life where you trust that God is in control. So I think if Nat King Cole would allow me, I'd like to challenge you with simply this. 
although it's been said many times, many ways, an imperfect Christmas to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you that in spite of all our imperfections, in spite of all our brokenness, you are still in control. You are still perfect. You are still working it out, God. God, it's amazing to me to read how Mary and Joseph's world was turned upside down, how everything was shattered to what it was supposed to be like, God, but in its place was you. God, our, our marriages, our finances, our families, our careers, our dreams, our times are not perfect. And they may feel shattered, God, but man, when that happens, we wanna let go and just trust in you. So God, in our, our broken view of what is perfect, instead, may we just have you with us. We love you, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>